Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, Nicole DeBoom here again with an awesome episode, number 160. I don't even know how long I've been doing the podcast. It seems like five minutes, but I think it's been a few years. (laughs) Today's guest is insane. She's so awesome. Her name is Julie Pyatt. She actually has another name, which we didn't even get into today. I feel like I left so much on the table. I could have kept talking to Julie forever, but... We had to end it at some point. Um, I got I got to know Julie or became aware of her after I became aware of her husband a few years ago and what Rich Roll is doing in this world to help people be the best they can be. Um, if you don't already listen to the Rich Roll podcast, you should. It's amazing. And when you do, you'll realize that he has a certain guest on slightly more frequently than any other guests he's had multiple times. And her name is Julie Pyatt, and she is his wife. And so I listened to some episodes with Julie, and I realized, like, first of all, this their relationship is just like this crazy mystery <laughs> mix of what she calls like opposites, like they could literally be defined as from another universe kind of opposites. And yet there is just this incredible flow and chemistry and, and synergy that comes when they're on together. And, um, and I really, I've, I've felt like really drawn to Julie's energy and what she puts out there in the world, which is a many and varied, incredible projects and ways that you can experience her in all her glory, which we're going to get into on the show and in the show notes. Um, so today, the title is actually her final nugget. You are the one you've been waiting for. Um, and it took the whole episode for us, I guess, to get to that place. But what's crazy is throughout the episode, I had all these different notes and topics and thoughts, you know, of things we might cover. But I realized really quickly that I I needed to completely let go of control of the interview from the very beginning, because I just needed to let it go in the direction that Julie was steering it. She has incredible stories about her own experiences and then the insights that she's gained from them. That's the gold, you know, not, uh, we all have stories, right? But it's, it takes a, a really, I don't know what it is, just time, maturity, a special kind of person to be able to extrapolate that special gold from the things we go through that can help other people learn and grow themselves. So get ready for an awesome ride today. And uh, you'll notice I'm definitely out of control. I don't even know what to say. Most of the uh, conversation is just brilliantly uh, steered by Julie and as it should be because we need to get more of her out in this world. Um, Before we start, big cool news from Skirt Sports, the company I founded 15 years ago to help women find happiness in their bodies. Um, We're making a big move. 
So Skirt Sports, about maybe four years or so ago, we moved all of our inventory to a distribution center in California and relinquished ourselves of of having it and decided to follow and pursue a different business model for a while. Well, times change and it has become clear that we need to pursue a different business model again. And that is the roller coaster of owning and running your own business. And flexibility is the number one key to success. I am absolutely convinced. So we are actually going to relocate our warehouse again. We're bringing it back to Boulder. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in the trend world, heritage is like this huge trend right now. And I thought it was really fitting because <laughs> I'm like, we are really like, we're singing that tune right now. We're bringing things back to where we started, back to our home base. And really what's kind of nice for me is I'll just be able to pop on over to the warehouse and check out the product again. Yep. A few things go missing every time I wander into the warehouse. <laughs> so what that means for you is that if you've been dying to get your hands on skirt sports products, we the first thing we want to do is clear out as much inventory as we can before we put it on trucks and bring it back to Boulder. So we have a big sale going on through March 1st, um, including Leap Day. So you get this extra bonus day in there. You just need to use the code LEAP50, L-E-A-P 50, and yeah, if you can guess, you know what that 50s for? 50% off everything on the website, including the new stuff. It's a leap of faith for us, but the truth is we really don't want to pack it up and move it and sell it here. We would like to sell stuff now. So get online, leap 50 through March 1st at skirtsports.com. Uh, when things are on the trucks and moving and getting, you know, put stacked into new shelving and all that good stuff here, we will have some other kind of great offer for you because once they, once March 1st hits, things aren't going to ship for a couple of weeks. So uh, get over there right now. Use code LEAP50 to skirtsports.com. Try some new stuff. We have amazing new styles. Reach out to me if you ever have questions. Um, and if you are feeling generous today and in the supporting mood, I don't tell you enough about the ways that you can support this podcast. And I want to share with you that last year I opened up a Patreon account. This is a, a website where you can support artists. And so I decided, you know, I'm not going after big sponsors at this moment, and maybe I will down the road. And when I do, I'll let you know. And if you want to pull out of your Patreon support, no big deal. But right now, this is the only way that I have to financially support the podcast. It's, a, again, a website called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Many of you are already familiar with it, and you probably support other podcasts and artists on there. When I got on there, I thought, you have to plug in what you are doing. And I wrote, I'm making a more positive world. I think that's what I wrote. I'll have to look again. But that is what I feel this podcast is doing. And that is what the comments and feedback from those of you who write to me and comment on posts, that's what you're telling me. And that's what I want to keep doing. So if you want to support the show, I will so gratefully 
you know, accept and love and bring you into the fold, just go to patreon.com backslash Nicole DeBoom, or you can search it and you'll find it. People are donating. It's like a anywhere from a dollar a month to 15 bucks a month. I mean, it's really up to you. But if this if this podcast is making you feel better and you feel so inclined to support it, I would absolutely appreciate it. It's amazing, this community and the way that we all feel connected through all the different mediums that we participate in. It just blows my mind. All right, you guys, enough. Now it's time. And remember, you are the one you've been waiting for. But I guess in the meantime, we've really been waiting for Julie Pyatt. So let me bring her on the show. That photo of you on your Skype, oh, it's like so, it's totally divine, just like you. (laughs) I had kind of a dream come true a couple years ago. Maybe it's been two years. Maybe it's been a year. Um, I became friends with these really um, amazing fashion people. And that photograph is taken by Jan Welters, who photographs all the, you know, the highest fashion in the world. And and we became friends. And he was like, Srimati, let me take your picture. And I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I will use it for all things marketing. I mean, seriously, oh, yeah. that stuff doesn't just happen to everyone. When you have that opportunity, you take it. Oh, it was, it was really great, really super great. And I'm very close friends with him and his family and his wife. So yeah, it's beautiful. So So was that when your clothing line was, when you were rolling with your clothing line back in the day? No, that was just, uh, just recently, just like a year ago. I, I shot those images for water tiger actually for the launch of water tiger. Oh my gosh. Can you believe the life you're living? Like, I I know you through the interwebs and uh, through your husband, Rich, who's been on my pod, my podcast and like got to know him through the endurance racing world and all that good stuff. And, and he, you would make these appearances on his podcast. And you, it's just so intriguing, because there's just this incredible... I, I can't even use the word balance. I don't know what it is about your relationship that just, it makes people both like wonder and have awe at the same time. Like, how did these people come together? So I just felt like someday I needed to have a conversation with you. And I was thinking about this term relationships. And it's like the way I feel connected with you is through how you present yourself in relationships in the world. It's really like crazy, isn't it? How we find each other. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah, we don't we don't really know. I mean, we also don't really know how we got brought together and how I mean, we you know, we we fell in love and you know, the love's very strong and all of that. Uh we're just extremely different people and it's a uh, it's quite amazing to see the alchemy and the magic that's created by this pairing of opposites. And I think it's, I think it's the opposite nature that actually creates the friction that creates the opportunity for the alchemy or the transformation or going beyond what, you know, what maybe you thought was possible. Oh, I love that because I feel like the friction is the thing that it's the hardest for us to embrace and accept, but without it, we might not be together. 
Yeah, and I guess I guess I would clarify the friction that that friction uh, energy. So when I'm talking about friction, um, we have a tremendous love and a tremendous respect for each other. So it's almost like there's this foundation of deep love and respect and a gentleness and and an, and an awareness to self-discover or self-regulate in the face of adversity or challenge or disagreement or disharmony. We both have these tools where we instantly go inside ourselves. And so the friction is there by the nature that we're two opposite beings. Like, I mean, everybody, nobody's alike, but we're, you know, we could be classified from different planets basically. And, um, and yet there's, there's the love. So there's never a disrespect or a dishonoring or, um, or a, uh, like there's a care, there's a care and a reverence there that allows us to use the difference as a platform for uh, deepening our relationship with ourselves. I just love this. I, you know, you mentioned having these tools. I'm really curious, like you've mentioned, and you're very open about the fact that you, you didn't mention this today, but you've mentioned it on other uh, podcasts you've been on that you have had multiple marriages and I wonder, and probably relationships before in the middle or whatever, you know, surrounding those marriages, like how did you develop these tools so that you don't, you go within yourself when you're having those, those moments and you're not lashing out at each other. Well, I think it's the awareness of, a, of the fact that I know that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And so it's, uh, mine comes from this spiritual devotion of being one of the ones that was always interested in what is beyond this life and what is the purpose of life and, you know, who am I in the face of events and I think riches came to him through his sobriety, through his addiction and the tools that he had to learn from a 12 step program in order to even live, be alive. So, you know, one could say, you know, that's really a bunch of problems to be in a relationship that somebody who is an addict, right? So rich is a recovering addict. That's his, his words, not mine. Um, but, a recovering addict. So he has the tools to use a program. And so I'm in a relationship with someone where if he's triggered or if something shows up, I have the safety and the comfort to look at him and say, you need a meeting. And instead of him say, you know, you're crazy and get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, or <laughs> I'm leaving. He, he says, uh, uh, yeah, I hear you. I'm going to a meeting, you know? And that that right there, I mean, that shows you like I think the fact that Rich is in recovery is what what has allowed us to experience the depth of intimacy and also acceptance and love and devotion and union, even though we're so different. I mean, I would say that the way we place our foot on the earth is completely different for both of us, just like you know, he's burning up, I'm cold, you know, he slams and breaks things. And like, for him, it's all, all about hardness and struggle. And, you know, you, you know, no pain, no gain. And I'm the one that can suffer the most. 
And I'm all about ease and flow and softness and, you know, and not straining and not, you know, so, and I'm very soft on the earth, like even the way I put my foot or my choices or what I would do. Um, so it's, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, it's fascinating to me as well. There's a, there's a very strong sexual chemistry and creativity and with someone that I've been with for over well 20 years going on now, um, we always lose count because we're not counting, but it's, it's something like 20 years. And the fact that we still, when we are with each other in that creative union, um, it's like, it's never the same. It's always just this creative journey. It's so it's, it's curious to me because I know what it feels like to be in a relationship where you, you know, you have the, you know, you have the interest and the, and the um, delight at the beginning, you know, that newfound love. And then, you know, you do that for a couple years and then that kind of burns to a, burns out to a certain level. And then maybe you have some kids and then, you know, you're just living this, you know, crazy human existence that for some reason as human beings, when we have children, like, you know, they just consume our lives by our design for some reason. <laughs> but, um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there is something very, very amazing there because there's enough, uh, let me just say this, there's enough about my personality and there's enough about his personality that just on paper would annoy both of us to the point that we would never want to be together. Oh my gosh, I just love this so much. Um, I am relating in a huge way but what what's different, and I think a lot of people are relating to this entire like narrative of your current marriage, you know, what's missing a little bit in my world is we haven't we haven't reached that point of fully embracing each other, and we're still occasionally clashing, and I think internally saying like, oh, I wish he would change. I wish she would change. I wish she would react different. I wish he could, you know, have a different response. Yeah, but that's, and, and I totally get that. And, and if I could, I'll, I'm going to share this, catal this catalyze, catalyst story in our journey together, enriching my journey together. And maybe you've heard it before, but um, I think it's, a, it's one worth telling. But, you know, okay, how do I, how do, I do this succinctly? Um, so when Rich and I met, I was, a, I was a yoga teacher. I was already a healer. Um, when I was early in our marriage, I healed myself of a cyst in the front of my neck using Ayurvedic herbs and food. Um, you know, I was definitely living, um, connected to life force, um, in the awareness that the greatest thing that we can offer humanity and life at large is to realize our own heart's deepest desires. And also understanding that the universe knows our desires better than we know them ourselves. So, you know, I had entered into this experience with Rich, this relationship, and, um, you know, I never viewed him as an alcoholic. I viewed him as a child of God consciousness, as I do everyone. So it didn't scare me. I didn't consider it. I didn't, you know, I didn't examine it on paper. I just went with what my heart was telling me. And so we were in this relationship. And in the early days of our relationship, I was watching Rich struggle. He was a lawyer. And 
he's not he's not meant to be a lawyer. I mean, he's very smart and he's a very great writer, but he hates conflict like worse than anything. And so here this being was just being literally crushed by this energetic requirement of his job, of his career. And um, and he was getting more and more sort of paralyzed and and just unhappy and dense and struggling with the energy of addiction, not using, but still, you know, that, you know, it's an entity. It's like a, the addiction is another life force that lives that lives in the being. You know, it's it's something that can't be reasoned with or logically explained. It's an energy. So over the years, I would see him struggle and I would I would have all these tools to help him. And I would reach out and say, hey, you know, babe, try this. Or I might leave something on his pillow at night or I might say, you know, try these practices to lift yourself out. And at the time he was eating, you know, in and out burgers, you know, uh, dozens of Dunkin Donuts, like venti Starbucks coffees with three ad shots like he was just eating food um, that actually had informed his college days as a swimmer. So Rich has a voracious appetite, eats more food than any person I've ever met. Um, but the quality and what he was choosing to eat was that of a college kid, you know, it, that was swimming, you know, seven days a week, you know, competitively. So um, what happened is he put on a ton of weight and this is when, you know, when the press picked up his story and he wrote Finding Ultra and it was like, you know, man hits midlife crisis, becomes overweight and then goes vegan and, you know, becomes an ultraman. And, and now Rich, for those who are listening who don't know Rich Roll, um, he, he started doing double Ironman races, eating plants, and he did this crazy race, like seven Ironmans on seven Hawaiian islands in under a week. So, you know, small stuff like that, like <laughs> light stuff. But um, what really was the catalyst that the press never picked up was that I had been studying with an Indian master, and I study with many. My life has been devoted to studying spirituality and and really what, what makes up a human, human being and what are the energetic qualities that are beyond the physical. Um, so uh, this one teacher had talked to me about divine love and he had said to me, divine love is like the sun. It simply loves everything in creation without discrimination. And it's never not shining. It doesn't care what you do, what life form you, you picked, what you did wrong today. It just doesn't care. It's literally radiating love and light to you always. So it's, then he talked to me about human love and he said, human love is a business arrangement that basically says if you behave in these manner, in these according to this set of rules or agreement that we've made, then I will love you. And when you fail to live up to that or to live your part of the bargain, I will remove my love from you. I will take it back. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of funny too is that, you know, we meet people, we fall in love with them and falling in love with someone is simply a projection. So basically you project onto your partner what's going on inside of you because your perspective is influencing that. And they are really not that projection. And when you find out they're not that projection, then you get angry at them that they aren't what you fantasize them to be. <laughs> 
And so um, it's a it's a funny little thing that we do. And, you know, it was this moment I always say, like, I ski, I skied in my life a fair amount. And it was like, I got the ski lesson from the 26th instructor that just set it in a certain way. And during that teaching, it just entered my cells. And I realized that even though Rich was eating in and out burgers or drinking venti at shots or struggling with his addiction, you know, not by using, but, you know, struggling with the energy. He was also God. He was also an aspect of God. And that I, I had the opportunity to trust life that was living through him. And I also needed to let go of the dream or the idea that we had to do life the same way together. Like I'm, I'm, I'm as I'm living for self-realization for freedom with the spirit and soul freedom from reincarnation. That is a reason that I live to embody full freedom to travel through multiple systems. And I had to let go of needing him to do that with me. I had to understand that that's my journey, but that's not his journey. And I know that I am an expression of God. And if I am, then he is even where he's standing right now, drinking venti Starbucks with three ad shots. Even then he is an expression of God. And so at that moment, I let him go. I removed myself from his life journey, but I did it in love. I didn't do it in retaliation. I wasn't like, okay, I've, I've had it with you, so I'm just going to leave you to yourself. No, I decided that I would love him like the sun, and I would simply see him in his perfection where he was right now, rather than spend my energy trying to get him to be different according to my ideals, which are simply that. They're my ideals. They're, they're neither better or worse. I mean, it's, you know, it's... I can't see everything. I don't know what his life journey is. And so I called him and I said, you know, I apologize for being in your space and for needing you to be other than you were. And I've had this realization. And I said to him, I release you to your life in love. And I'm not mad and I'm not retaliating. And I'm just, I just love you. And that's it. And so I think he, he was shocked. I mean, I think he was expecting like an ambush, you know, he was expecting a surprise attack to, (laughs) to, you know, get him out of the bushes. It just was really, you know, kind of a far stretch. But if you talk to him about the experience, he will tell you that he suddenly felt my um, absence from his energy field. And suddenly he was left only with himself. So he had no one to push against. He had no one to, um, you know, it seemed like when I was trying to get him to change or trying to help him and, and in a court of law, or if you looked on paper, I clearly was living a much healthier life. I mean, I, I was happy in my life. I was healthy in my life. I was thriving, but even then that's why it's so tricky. And it was so hard for me to get the lesson because I had so many people tell me how right I was, but I was very right, but my marriage was not transforming. And so what I will tell everybody something that I know for sure, if you can remove yourself from the need to be involved in your partner's life in as far as judging what they do or monitoring what they do or needing them to give you anything, 
over 50% of your issues will simply be gone immediately. And then you can start the journey of honoring the diversity in a partnership that creates the friction, that creates those times where you're just like, you know, wondering why you're in this relationship or what, you know, you can use that then as really potent fuel for your own transformation because being in relationship will bring up a lot of your own issues. Um, but that, that act right there is a catalyzing act that created the life that Rich and I are living today. It catalyzed his rise to this vegan athlete, to, you know, a best-selling author, to having, you know, his podcast, which he just completed 500 episodes. Um, it's touched millions of people. And, uh, and we have done things together and also separately that we never even dreamed in our wildest dreams, although all of those things are very aligned with who we are at the core of our heart. Such an incredible, incredible story. Um, I think one of the things that stands out to me is this idea of you having to come to terms with the fact that you're on your journey and he's on his journey. And even though you're together and you want that person you love to find happiness, basically, um, you can't control that for them. Yes. And even one step further is who are we to think that we know what's right for another person? That is a great point. I mean, yeah. I think especially if I want to talk more about marriage and relationship and there's so many questions coming up, but I mean, I'm thinking about motherhood with that question too. Oh, like, I mean, of course we give birth. You, you said something in a previous uh, podcast I listened to that I'd never heard before and I thought it was so beautiful, but you know, we don't know what we're doing when we have a baby at least the first baby, I only have one, you've got multiples. <laughs> but you said something like I birthed the child and the child birthed the mother. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's one of my favorite awarenesses. And and yeah, and so when you think of a child coming, this, the symbiotic relationship of the baby and the mother, when a birth occurs, two births are happening. The child is born and also the mother is born. It's so beautiful. It's that just that just brings me to my knees and devotion and love for life. I mean, how gorgeous. So this idea that, you know, like, you know, that you're going to read a parenting book <laughs> or that you're going to, you know, you're going to this is the problem. Okay, so this is the issue. The issue is that in humanity, we we have so much fears and we're, we fear death so much and our faith and our connection to our source light is so disconnected or not strong in general, that what we do is we get into an intellectual analysis about the nature of life, which is a, such a small like dimension, you know, just, just a, a small one dimensional view of what life is. So uh, you cannot analyze life or quantify life or put life in a box. Um, life is uh, completely diverse. And, and this is something I've been speaking to a lot recently on podcasts and, and in my own offerings is 
there's a lot of talk that goes on all day long by lots of people, well-meaning people in all types of, you know, mediums and modalities. And they're, they're pontificating and offering their perspectives on the way to live, the way to be, the way to hack, the way to whatever it is. And there's a lot of this analysis on the problems and then this great ownership over somebody having like the answer. And it's such an arrogance and a really um, immaturity because creation is diverse. It's so diverse, Nicole, that there's not another two types of life form in the entire omniverse. I mean, I am a completely unique life form. There's not another one of me in every universe and system that exists anywhere. The same is true for you. The same is true for everyone listening to this podcast and all of our partners. You're never going to find a consensus. Your children are not to be put in a box. And this is, this has been my, you know, the reason that I've been, I unschooled and homeschooled my children. I've, I've written uh, in my mem my memoir is actually way too long, um, but it's really two, two memoirs, which half of is an entire homeschooling journey that I wrote in 2014. And it's just been in my closet and I've been waiting for the right timing. Um, but I've been very involved in, in this perspective around the children because we're facing certain planetary challenges that are very, very profound. And, and it's a, it's a very um, accelerated intense time and opportunity. And I know that the answers to these challenges are coming in the form of our children. However, we're putting them into educational systems that are dumbing them down or they're stripping them of their originality or their creativity. Um, if we do that, we're going to miss the messages. We're going to miss the miracles. We need the being that comes in that does something that we never saw before. We never knew that was possible. And we have an educational system at large that was created for the industrial age, turning out widgets. So why would you want to put your precious child, that is the most precious experience that you've been gifted in your life, why would you want that individual to fit in? Fit into what? Um, we have an educational system that it, it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. Like, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not like a crazy person making this up. Like there's plenty of information out there. And so again, the way that I did this with Rich, the way we create the magic in our life, the miracle, the expansion, the, the blessing, the thing that you just, you're in awe over is by looking at what's right looking at what's right, looking at your child as if they were a, like a, an expression of perfection, so precious, like one of them. So, um, you know, a lot of people may be spiritually aware, you know, they, they may have had some knowledge of the being Jesus Christ. Uh, but even if not in a Christian way, and I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not a religious person. I'm, I'm, I'm here to embody the force that is all things. And that includes everything. Um, but what I would say is 
if we wanted to look into the Christ teachings and we wanted to hold, if we wanted to be like that, if we wanted to be love in our life, if we wanted to be in an emanation of something good and uplifting and compassion for others, then when someone is suffering, what they need is to be held in the vision of their perfection. That's all. So if someone is struggling, the only thing they need to hear is, I believe in you, I trust you, and I see the light. And this is a momentary bump, and you're learning from this experience, and you created this experience for your own evolution. And you know what? I know you're suffering right now, but I'm going to hold you in that vision until you remember who you are. I, that. Yeah, absolutely, like, beautiful way to <laughs> embrace somebody when they're going through hard times instead of trying to solve it for them. Like, we kind of brought this up under the guise of trying to help or solve or control other people and their their futures, right? So I just love this. I believe in you. I trust you. It's yeah. exactly what they need to hear. You know, I went through a nine-year financial collapse with my husband and, and my own four children and raised a fifth. My nephew was living with me for those eight years. So I was raising five children, going through complete financial collapse, telling Rich to go train, which made no sense whatsoever. No athlete in their 40s who was not the fastest or the best ever got paid to do anything. So how would this, how would we make it? How would this turn into something? It makes no sense on paper. None of it makes sense on paper, but it was forged through devotion of the heart and through coming back to this compassion and this love and this belief in that we all have everything we need inside our own hearts. And, you know, we received chari the charity of friends. You know, we had people give us bags of money or bring over supplies or fill my tank up with gas or you know, whatever, whatever was needed, you know, and that's also a part of being human of learning how to receive. And also as humans, we need to learn how to give within our own communities. You know, we, and I'm talking about those of us in the privileged Western world, you know, there's this big shame with someone not being able to pay their bills or going through that kind of experience. And someone very close to me, um, you know, during the nine years, at one point I, I um, had to file bankruptcy and I ended, it ended up not happening and it's, not, it's like it never happened, it reversed, but I still had to go through the, the issue. And, you know, one of, someone very close to me, very judgingly said, you know, if I wasn't in your position, if I was in your position, I wouldn't choose bankruptcy. And I just looked at her and I said, well, it might just choose you someday. Oh gosh, that's so deep. <laughs> that's see, very, very yeah, true. Where we get, you know, we all get so, you know, so uh, high and mighty over, you know. Well, I pay my bills. Well, you know, I've got my my security in line. But the reality is, is it's really all just an illusion of security because because all of us are just like one click away from having, you know, mental health issues or traumas or, you know, life visits everybody, you know, nobody gets out, you know, without going through these transformational experiences. Now it might show up, you might have all your money thing dialed and then you might get a terminal disease or you might, you know, be super healthy and then you might, someone might die. 
you know, it's like, it's not like you're gonna, you're gonna escape life without these issues. And so we need to be charitable, I think, with the people that are closest to you. You know, if, if someone is suffering, why are, why are we so reticent to help somebody in need? You know, are, are, how are we going to feel if that person decides to exit because they, they're in so much pressure and judgment from society that no one can help? You know, no one can help because, you know, that's shameful, you know. So I think we need to be charitable. And while we're being charitable, we need to do it with respect. Like this is just momentary. I know you're going to pop out of this. You know, there's waves. Life is like different frequencies of energetic experience. And if you have somebody who's doing their best, who's who's sincere, who's, a you know, we're all good human beings, like everybody has troubles. And so one of the, you know, one of the things that I vowed to myself when I came out of this experience was to always tell people that I believe in them and to give them that respect. And, you know, yeah. How does that work, like, for instance, with your kids when when they're suffering and you're tied to them in a way that's different than anybody else on the planet? Well, you know, I mean, it's a whole, that's a whole nother, a whole other thing. Um, and again, you know, when your kids are, are young and, and you're in that guardian role, you know, you have a great responsibility and the environment that you create for them is influencing their life. Uh, the only thing that I would say is to be open to the lessons that they're teaching you to know who your child is so that you don't compare your child to another child and then make them wrong because, you know, they're not math experts or they're not a concert pianist or whatever parents do to compare their children. And there's a lot of trauma that we have from our own childhood. I mean, I don't really know if I could interview anybody that would say that their self-esteem was not challenged during their childhood years. And so we, we have these pains and these traumas that, that are ours. And then what we do is we have kids and then we project the job of healing those traumas onto our child. Like my child is never going to be left out. You know, and then we we suffer and we're like, ooh, that hurt me so much. And so we lay our trip on our child, which has nothing to do with you. Your child's life has nothing to do with you. <laughs> so I always ask parents, us, me, I'm in that, let's take responsibility and heal our own shit and let's not put it on our kids. Let's allow our kids their own free sovereign experience of life, whatever that may look like. It's it's so interesting. I feel like so much of the way that, I don't know, maybe you've evolved is this reframing of suffering to a transformational and growth experience. You know, like that kind of mindset shift, it, it, I think it can really make a huge difference. And I also think that, you know, you talk a lot about gaining awareness of yourself and just really living who you are. But then I think about like, how do you do that when you're at a time of like, say confusion, or how do you do that without avoiding hardship? Like, <laughs> cause nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to go through hard things. So I, I don't know what I'm, I think what I'm getting at is like, 
when you go through those hard things or when you're at times of change, if there is a way to shift the way you're looking at it as a growth opportunity or a transformation time, it just feels like that invites more ability for you to grow instead of staying stuck and fighting. Well, what it does is it allows you to become a powerful creator and, 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 Again, it's not what happens to you. It's who you are in the face of what happens to you. And what I will tell you is when I was going through this financial collapse and I mean, we had like appliances exploding and Rich would get pulled over by the cops like every time he drove out of the driveway. It was just like the resistance that was coming at us that was trying to stop us from doing what we were doing was just crazy. And what I realized was that they were energetic tests. And so what I did is that I cultivated this sort of strategy of, you know, DFO, don't freak out. Like if I can keep my emotional level at neutral, at zero, no matter what is happening, that's the work. If I let the event take me into DEFCON 5 and I'm freaking out and screaming and crying and rolling around the floor and like whatever, I'm just feeding into its power. So what I realized is by it's a training of a warrior, the more you can get neutral and not identify with the experience, you're free from the experience. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have health insurance the way that you want it or that things are going to be tidied up in a bow or that you're not going to have to go through some healing process that could require, you know, toxic stuff. I mean, I know plenty of people that are aware that have gone through chemotherapy. You know, it's like you just don't know what what someone's path is, but anything that you go through, you can turn into a divine and sacred mission. It's all in the perspective. Your perspective about what's happening is everything. And so for instance, when I was going through financial collapse, I it, I wasn't able to be around a lot of 3D people or old paradigm people because they would project their mental picture of what was happening onto my experience. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not a loser. I'm in my sacred moment. Like, this is the most precious grail of my life because when I digest this, it becomes part of your cellular makeup. And then I can truly serve humanity in the way that I was designed to do the way that is in alignment with my human mission. So when I speak, it's a transmission because it's in my cells. Like I'm, I didn't read this in a book or read a quote on Instagram or hear somebody else say it and then decide I wanted to be an influencer and get on Nicole's podcast. It's like, we earned this. <laughs> I mean, we, we lived it. We burned in the fire together. And that's also something that creates this bond and rich in my relationship. You know, most, if we were in it for the wrong reasons, it would have blown us apart, the financial pressure. But we were in a sacred journey. We understood that it was the spiritual alchemy required to prepare us to truly become and, you know, now I've learned, you know, it was frustrating for me. I was impatient. I thought I was going to be doing many of the things I'm doing now when I was 30. I'm going to be 58 this year. So it's, it's been impatient for me because I knew it was coming, but I had to earn it. I had to walk through these steps in order to embody, in order to become who I am. And now I, I'm very embodied in who I am. I know who I am. 
and um, that gives tremendous freedom and tremendous power. All right, we need to learn a little more about your childhood and how you grew up and how, you know, how you ended up cultivating this life for yourself and coming to these these different transformational events that took you each step of the way. So I know your childhood was a little bit free range, let's just say. <laughs> Maybe you can share um, share us a picture of what, what it looked like for little Julie. Yeah, so I'm the youngest of five kids. Um, my parents uh, were both very adventurous individuals for their time. My dad mapped the, the jungles of the Amazon. Uh, he was a pilot, crash planes, like, um, you know, he was really an Indiana Jones type character, very solid engineer, very logical human being, nice man. Um, and uh, we didn't, we never, we never connected beyond, you know, little, little ears when I was a very little child. And part of that disconnect was that he's a, he's an engineer. So two plus two equals four. And I'm um, a multidimensional visionary. So two plus two is 22 for me. And that, that was something that we, uh, we bumped up against for most of my life. And this pain of separation from my father is what informed a lot of my journey and he is the perfect divine father for me that I chose to create this experience for me, even though it wasn't the I'm daddy's favorite girl situation. Um, my mom is from Chile and uh, she's a survivor. Her dad was a healer in South America, a hundred, you know, hundred years ago. So he was like, he was one of me. So that's where the DNA comes from. He was, uh, an astral healer. Um, he did uh, hands-on healing and uh, he was uh, very much like I am focused in things in life that I'm focused on. Um, so anyway, so most of my childhood was basically waiting to get out uh, so that I could go do what I wanted to do. It, I wouldn't describe it as a happy childhood because I've always felt this age that I am now since I was a baby. So I remember being in the crib waiting for someone to come and pick me up. And it was just a lot of waiting and a lot of watching the chaos in my house. And, um, you know, my parents were nice. They, they loved, uh, you know, they love me, they love us. Um, but it, it wasn't like I was understood or, um, you know, had this idyllic childhood, I would say that. So, so I've always been like this. I'm one of those ones. I'm sure you guys all know one in your life, one of us <laughs> that, that um, you know, everything for me is an exploration of the spiritual essence and how to um, like how to, how to integrate, how to, how to spiritualize the matter, we would say. Uh, so everything for me has been like that. Um, and, and I would say that this is also a classic story of those of us that have the genetics to be awake to that, which is unseen is that we incarnate into family systems and groups that are not like us because we came here to transform. So if I incarnated with another one like me, where would be the healing or the transformation? There would be none. So if you interview a lot of people that have my kind of genetic story, um, they'll all, we all are wounded healers, feel left out, misunderstood, never seen, 
uh, it's kind of a classic, um, uh, uh, you know, setup for the life, I would say. And then when I, um, when I was young and I went to, you know, uh, like a Protestant Sunday school and read about Jesus, I was like, I love that dude. Like he, like I could just feel him and me. I could feel that type of love for humanity. I, I loved him. Like I just loved him. And then I went through a lot of religious exploration where I experienced tremendous fanaticism and, you know, violence in the name of God and, you know, the whole messed up human thing that human organizations do to the beauty of life. Um, and since then, you know, I've just done extensive research and studying with many different traditions and, um, you know, all kinds of layers of exploring that which is beyond the physical. So, you know, you mentioned like when you were very little, it just felt like you were waiting, just waiting all the time to go explore these things. And the minute you had the opportunity to leave, what did you do? What's the first thing you did to go out and explore? Well, I, I spent a lot of time in nature. So like these were, this was pre cell phone, pre bottled water, you know, pre, <laughs> it was pre everything. So I was basically in Alaska, first in Colorado, I didn't, first of all, I didn't have any plastic toys. I had a bunch of stuffed animals because I loved animals a lot. Um, but I would just go in the forest and create my imaginary world. So, you know, my, my playhouses, my magical kingdoms, they were all inside the forest, hours and hours and hours alone in the forest. Um, then when I moved to Alaska, I was part of a small group of young people. I mean, like I'm talking 11, 12, 13, maybe 13, maybe 9, 10, 11. And we would go to this fishing village. You had to get there by going on a train through two tunnels. And we were basically unsupervised for probably days on end. And her parents would be drinking in the saloon, in the bar. And then it's light all the time. And we were literally climbing mountain peaks with no supplies. It, like the, the fact that I'm a mom and that, I mean, how my parents allowed this to happen, I have, I have no logical explanation for that. <laughs> because... I could have been dead so many times. I mean, so many times. Like we, we hiked to certain places. The tide came in. We were trapped. We didn't have a tent. We didn't have a bag. Like we didn't even have any food on us. I mean, it was beyond ridiculous. Um, I have a one picture of me sitting next to a rushing stream. It must be 20 feet across of white water. And I think I'm like 10 and I'm sitting right on the edge of the rock like just staring into the white water. And, you know, as a mother, like, it's just crazy. So I had a lot of time in nature and I think that really informed my creativity. I, I can say very prolifically that I am an open creative channel in any medium. I've never experienced any block ever, like never, ever, ever. So it's kind of why I've done so many things in my life, because it's all the same flow. It's just a different medium, whether I'm painting or sculpting or writing or chefing or creating cheese or singing. It's the same. It's just the same for me. So then I became a born again Christian without my parents when I was 11. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How did that go over? <laughs> Well, I'm just sitting here like, where were they? Like, what was going on? But anyway, 
Yeah. So I, I always had older friends because I'm the youngest of five. So my older brothers were nine and 10 years older. And I was, my best friend was six years older than I was. And she would pick me up in her car, but I was a kid, you know, six years and a child, like that's a big disparity. So this friend of mine, she became born again and she took me to this, you know, super, you know, crazy, awesome church. Uh, and they were, you know, they had like the rock band and, you know, I write about it in my memoir, which is not published yet, but it was, it was like the only thing missing was the white smoke. And it was like the musician in me just got the better of me. And, you know, next thing I knew it, I was on the stage and I was back in the office getting baptized in tongues by the priest. And my orthodontist assistant was like across from me, this, you know, woman, young woman, <laughs> she was like speaking in tongues was like super fast and there were tears streaming down her face and there's no way she made it up. I mean, something was doing that. You couldn't make that up, but it was just this really funny, awesome time. And I loved it. And I loved Jesus. And then they started to be really fanatic and I saw the fanaticism at age 12. So, uh, I asked my parents to send me to Christian school and they refused um, and then I, so I was like, okay, I'm stuck in this family for another five years till I'm 17. So I'm just going to use drugs. So I just went and did a bunch of drugs. Um, and again, it was sort of like, I'm trapped here. These people are not coming on my spiritual train and I can't quite do what I need to do. So I'm just going to go in to this dark side for a bit. So I did, you know, acid and, uh, mushrooms and mescaline and pot and cocaine. And I tease my daughter saying that I think I invented smoking crack. <laughs> but but um, I, I was done with it all when I was 16. And then I never touched drugs again. Oh, my I'm, God, that is like terrifying as a parent to think about for your well, child. And did your parents have any idea? Uh, no, they, they probably had not that big of an idea, but you got to also understand that we were living in Anchorage at the time and it was like the wild west. And there was this, first of all, it's a drug gateway to Asia. And then there were, it was the pipeline. So it was sort of like the gold rush. So there were kids from my school and high school that were making like $40 an hour working on what we called the slope. You know, they would fly into the wilderness and the Arctic and then work on the pipeline and get paid a lot of money. And it was the days back then where pot was legal in Alaska. So everyone was like growing something in their closet, except at my house. My parents never did. But you were right up against, like if you went to a function of the community, you were next to the madam from the whorehouse, the mayor, you know, the, the, the women's club, the rotary, like everyone standing in the same room because there's no there's no separation in that type of a community. So it was, it was rough. I mean, it was wild and not only me, but my brothers and sisters that were older than I was. I mean, it's kind of a miracle that none of us died quite, quite frankly. And I, yeah, I mean, it, it tr truly like this was a wild upbringing. Yeah, it was. And my, and if you ask my parents, they, they wouldn't view it that way. Like they're actually very, they were very, um, you know, kind of middle class. They never, you know, never use, they weren't crazy like what, they were very sort of, um, you know, respectable society people, I guess. I don't know. My dad's like, my dad has a master's in engineering. Like he built most of the 
buildings in Anchorage and, you know, worked his whole life for the native corporation and like did a $72 million museum was his last project when he was like 89. Like my parents were not hippies. That's a weird thing. They weren't at all. Oh my God. (laughs) They just moved us into an environment that was kind of like the wild west. It was kind of crazy. And I guess, I don't know, I was the fifth kid and they were probably tired of raising kids by that time, which I can totally relate. And also, you know, every kid is different. And I'm so in, I'm, I was such an old soul, you know, that they probably tried to control me and then realized like, that's not the way, you know? So yeah, I had a completely free childhood. And then if you look at Rich's childhood, completely opposite, like completely controlled, monitored, like almost like he was a prison in his parents' house. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you know, I've read his book and many people listening probably have as well. And we can't wait to read your memoir. Like you've teased it a couple times here. You're going to have to let us know when that's coming out. I've got it. I mean, when I do, like I decided to launch this cheese, this global cheese brand called Shrimu that is that I'm doing right now. And you know, it's really an honor and really a blessing and a privilege to be on your podcast and for you to take the time to ask me about my life. Um, you know, it's a it's a sacred thing. All of our lives are sacred events for each of us. And just talking to you gives me, again, the reminder that um, I do need to publish that book. So I'm, I, I will. I'm just waiting for the right timing. Oh, and I know you're going to you're going to feel it. You will for sure. So you mentioned Shrimu. We may as well, like, let's hit on this right now because it's in the air. It's in the energy. Um, You have a magical company. And I don't know, most people listening probably don't know about it. So maybe you can talk about what it is and why you started it. Yeah. So, um, well, I started making food really to feed Rich when he started doing these crazy um, Ironman, double Ironman races, eating just plants. And like I said, I'm an artist. So, you know, I just use whatever medium and food is one of those mediums. And I've always been someone who loves home and I love, um, I love having people over. And I was always the one that could like cook for 50 people and it doesn't bother me. And it's a very creative thing for me. And I didn't know this, but part of the catalyst, the catalyzing, um, journey of rich and my union is I ended up becoming a cookbook author. And so I've created, um, almost 500 vegan recipes, plant-based recipes. And my food is lively and tasty and it's cooked and it satisfies sort of everything we need um, while really embracing this high vitality plant and using, you know, lots of whole foods. Um, And then during that journey, I created a very basic cheese and sort of nut milk section in our book, um, The Plant Power Way. And, um, and when I turned that book in, I was like, ah, oh, like there's a whole world in here that could be very transformational. And so I started uh, experimenting uh, and then that led to my book, This Cheese is Nuts, which is a book that's dedicated to creating plant-based cheeses. Again, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I would be able to create so many lively, beautiful, just extraordinary, cheesy, full body tasting um, cheeses. Uh, I really surprised myself. Um, and I had been making the cheeses and then sort of taking them to the next level. And I have some very dear friends from Europe. I'm sort of 
more European than I am American. I have a, a lot of that kind of energy going through me. And my friends that are French and Italian and Swiss and German, uh, they just kept eating the cheese and just freaking out. And they were like, you have to do this as a product. And I took a long time to really feel into it. I had had a fashion company in the late 90s. And so uh, I was not unaware of what it takes to produce a product and all the different elements that go into it. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to step into that in my life. And then I was sitting in one of my offices, which is in nature. It's in the middle of a sage bush on my land where I sit in the mornings. And, um, and I was considering the remainder of my life and how many more years I have in, on this planet and what I could do with the time. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'm probably going to be around for another 25 years at least. So I can make some cheese. You know, I have, <laughs> I have time to do that. So I took my time and Rich was like, babe, what's happening? Like, hurry up. Like you're, you know, this is now like you got to move. And, and I was like, everybody leave me alone because this has to be what I want. It has to be how I feel. And so I created this amazing line. It's called Shrimu, do life, not cheese. And the do means devotional offering. So Shrimu is a collection of subscription-based artisanal aged plant-based cheeses that are universal. So they're not only vegan, but they're paleo and they're gluten-free and they're dairy-free and they're kosher. Um, this is the new evolution of cheese. It is uh, something that is delicious in texture, in vibration, in the purity and the quality of, of the ingredients. This is no gooey, creepy vegan cheese. This is really delicious cheese that hits all those you know, points in our life experience, our human experience of taste that we crave. And it's packaged in a gorgeous um, black altar box with an amazing uh, branding and coating that I created with my friend, Brian O'Hara. Um, you can follow Brian at Atelier O'Hara, one of the most amazing fine artists of our time. He is... Um, one of these amazing life forms that has read and written backwards his whole life. And now he is using these words in reverse and they create a coding. So the branding on the box of Shreemu, which is quite gorgeous, it's just so well developed uh, from a design level and an artistic level. Um, it says devotional offering in reverse, actually. So in my subscription boxes, you get six units of cheese. Um, and uh, you can order it either every month, every other month, or every three months. And uh, I launched on November 13th. I got possession of the kitchen, and I shipped 2,500 units of cheese on December 11th. Um, I have an extraordinary team. We're building a culture of awareness this is a global mission. And for me, it's about building this community of awareness where I can share messaging and concepts and ideas for living like I have on this podcast today, but they can be connected to this food product and to be consuming this frequency, which is actually transforming your experience of life. Oh my God. Everybody listening is signing up right now. I'm like salivating. Um, <laughs> I bought your book, This Cheese is Nuts, for my husband for Christmas. And here's our... Thank we, you. We, every recipe looks amazing. 
I got a little stumped on some of the ingredients, trying Mm -hmm. to find them in the local, you know, grocery stores. Do you have any tips on that? Amazon. Oh, easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I actually, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So I wanted to like go down this little eating and food rabbit hole a little bit because um, I think our eating philosophies, like our our journey through food in our lifetime, you know, it it can be informed in many different ways. And for me personally, I um, am a adult onset vegan. But I do call myself a Cheegan because a friend of mine used that term. I thought it was hilarious. And it's not cheese eating vegan, which many people think, but it's sort of a cheating vegan. (laughs) So I'm not like perfect. I don't hold myself to this incredible standard. But by and large, my choices um, lean towards plant, you know, eating plants and, and all the other yummy things that go with it. So for me, I'm a really curious person. So this journey sort of started, this is kind of interesting because you said Rich was eating as if he was a college swimmer. Yeah. So, I, you know, I used to be a, I was a college swimmer too. And then I became a professional triathlete and, and then I had a baby at 40. And then like a couple years later, I realized I was still eating like a college swimmer and professional triathlete and my body wasn't reacting as well anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I started experimenting And I food experimented for a year and I ended the year on, we might, he might be a a mutual friend, but my friend, uh, Rip Esselstyn, I had researched what he was doing with engine two and I just found it interesting. I was curious. So I did his program connected with him and that jump started my new, say, like, you know, eating philosophy or chapter into plant-powered eating, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we're all different in how we come to these different, you know, where, where we land. And it really probably is all rooted in an awareness of self. So I'm really curious about your journey towards vegan eating and uh, what you might recommend for people who are curious. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of already touched on it. So I, I am a thin person uh, by design. And so I never have I, I never had to diet. Um, and so that needs to be said, like, right at the front, I was raised on game meat in Alaska, my dad was a hunter. So we, we ate moose and caribou and bear and salmon and goat and these type of things that he would kill and he would skin them himself and cut them up. And, you know, like the amount of blood that has to be exchanged is just crazy. So, you know, my dad knew where his meat came from. Um, and that's definitely a step beyond most of us that are completely disconnected with where our meat comes from and what has happened through that chain. Um, I would say that, so originally, um, I was eating pretty healthy, I guess, um, I developed this sick, this cyst in the front of my neck. It was a golf ball sized cyst. And this gave me the opportunity to go into an experience with Ayurveda using herbs and changing my lifestyle and really, um, deepening my connection to meditation and prayer, and then eating mostly plant-based except for some medicated ghee, which they use as a carrier for some of the herbs and also, um, you know, an occasional milk tonic, um, because in, in Ayurveda, milk is sacred. Now, 
they don't kill their cows or put them in industrial quarters. Uh, they actually bless their cows and do mantras over their cows. And when they uh, take milk from the cow, the first quarter goes back to the baby calf. The second goes back to the mother. And then, um, you know, we, we, it's some, I probably said it wrong, but there's some, there's some, there's some order. Like you don't just take it all and just, you know, abuse the cow. That's not what you do. So it's very different in that, in that scenario. But what I think we need to talk about right now is we need to stop focusing on how tender we are and how different we are. And we need to understand what's going on planetarily right now. So we all need to do whatever we can to educate ourselves into what is, what is the consequence of our meat and dairy consumption. Now, we have some really amazing leaders that are the warriors of our time, like Greta, uh, who is forging the, the curve of sanity for trying to shift awareness for global warming. Um, if you want to educate yourself in a very uh, good way, you could check out Paul Hawkins' Drawdown Project, where he and a group of scientists have actually analyzed the top 100 ways you can draw down global warming. And on that list, eating plant rich is number four. It's the number four most powerful thing you can do out of a hundred existing ways to change the heat and draw down global warming and contribute to saving our oceans, loving our earth, saving land, stopping to participate in the violence that's inflicted on the animals. Um, this is something that is very real and very tactile. Um, so this needs to be the conversation that we need to be grown up enough to have at this point. Um, and what I said is I said plant rich, right? So we also need to stop with the defending our choices um, or pushing backs, back against judgment. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to judge myself. We wake up in the morning and we're causing harm by the way that we're living. The, just the very nature of what it means to be a human being. But I know and I am connected with every time I choose plants on my plate and, the, and I don't choose dairy and I don't choose meat, I am making a positive impact that is benefiting both my health animal welfare, which is a violent energy that we have to deal with. You're not separate from it. It goes in the field and it is affecting our world, even if you don't see the animal. And also it is a show of solidarity for this beautiful planet that I love so much that she is our mother. She is uh, some a life energy that we are interacting with. And so what I want to offer people the opportunity is to not be um, not be all or nothing, but really stop with this focus of what, what you feel comfortable with in your own body and understand that we must take a greater perspective. Um, I, uh, I have often said that I'm, I'm not a vegan. I don't like isms. I don't like being boxed in. I'm a free being that lives spontaneously in the moment. I've always said that if I wake up and my body needs, actually needs a piece of meat for some 
medicinal reason for something that my body's going through, I will find that piece of meat, I will do a ceremony and I will eat it in reverence, recognizing what that animal has given me. That has not happened yet. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm open to the idea that somebody may need to eat meat. And if that's you, there's absolutely no, no judgment, but we must change the way we are eating. We must stop this animal ag agriculture that the sewage is spilling into our waters, killing the coral reefs. Um, you know, it's, we gotta, we gotta grow up and we gotta take responsibility. You know, one thing I love about you is it's, there's a, passion with this, you know, love and acceptance and transformation that you've been through through your whole life. And I also can feel the healer in you coming out. And it's really cool to hear your perspective, you know, on something like, you know, your eating philosophy, because I was making an assumption. And I think, I think your greater sort of argument, or not argument, but, you know, suggestion is, uh, a, a perfect way for people to approach this because you can take away the judgment. And in life, I mean, I think that's, that's what it's about in order to live a little more full and happy life in general is to take away the judgment of yourself and everyone around you. It changes everything. Yeah. It's not, it's not about that. It, it's also not about being um, immature. I mean, you know, I, I had a conversation with my team at Shrimu and they were talking about to procreate or not to procreate. And, you know, I gave birth to four. I, my children, if I'm anything in this life, I'm a mother, anything. Like I am a mother through and through and through. And I said to them, if I was at your stage of life, I don't know that I would have children right now. And that was a shock to me that I would even consider it. But I mean, are we really going to ignore what is going on because we like bacon so much like is that really going to be our choice because we we thought we had to have animal protein really like i will we be able to take our kids to the ocean will they ever see dolphins swimming you know is it is it just going to be like mad max is that gonna be the world that we're participating in creating? This is real stuff, it's not made up. I mean, I live in California where the fires are, are raging. You know, 36 families from my child's um, theater school lost their home, you know? And then of course there's an ultimate level where I can go to as a healer and I can say the earth is a, she's a planetary star. She's got this under control. She's going through her transformation. She's going to be fine whether or not we exist. Well, that'll be a question. And ultimately, I really believe that. But I can't, um, I still am responsible for my actions. And I have to make the best decision that I can with the information that I have, like in that moment, in this present moment. And you know, nobody is perfect. You know, it's an aspiration. We're aspiring to eat a certain way, but we also have to be grown up enough and brave enough to look at what is and understand what we've done and what, what we've been participating in, at least know what you're participating in. 
you know, at, at least know it. Yeah, that is a really great point. Awareness above all else. You know, I think one of the things that I want to make sure we hit on too is ways for people to connect with you. And um, I know one of the things you're working on is an upcoming retreat in Italy. Yeah, so this is, um, <laughs> it's amazing. So I am, um, I'm hosting two retreats this year. I'm, I'm doing one with Rich, but that's been sold out for a while. Um, I do weeks of transformation. And so these are for individuals that are ready to truly um, embody and, and ignite the reason that they're living on this planet. Like what is, what is the spiritual mission and what have they come here to experience? And I have been um, collaborating with the community in Italy in Turin. They're called Damanhur, D-A-M-A-N-H-U-R. And this is a group of individuals who formed a community and they built temples to humankind inside a mountain over 40 years ago. They have been declared the eighth wonder of the world by the Italian government. They have their own um, currency. Um, they have a community that is, you know, living, thriving community for 45 years of, I think, a thousand individuals. And um, uh, they have, it's hard to describe these temples. If you go online, you can see photos of them. But anyway, I've been, you know, going there and hosted members here at my house and, uh, they are working to create a vision of a new planetary vision of what we want to create here together. And sort of going back to my sharing that there's a lot of talking and analysis about what's wrong with the world, but there aren't a lot of people talking about what we want to create collectively. And so these individuals in one of their temples, it's called the Hall of Earth, they've painted with mosaics and created sculptures and fine art paintings and um, tile and uh, all kinds of things that depict um, an earth that is living in harmony, that is thriving, where all of the species are represented, where we are living in diversity, but in community and love. And um, it is in this uh, community that I'm going to be hosting my retreats. So I'm doing two Equinox activations over March and over September, and it will truly be a week uh, that will be unforgettable. So it's plant-based meals, it's daily yoga, daily tea ceremony, um, working with artistic um, programming of creating art as spiritual um, sort of activations um, and also just meditating and being in the forest, communing with trees, this type of thing. So all the unseen things that make up what a human life is, we'll be exploring um, in Dominher over those two very potent spiritual times. So you can find out about that on my website. It's juliepyatt.com. You can click on retreats and you'll be led to the page. And then the other way, if I can mention that people can be in touch with me is through my online spiritual mentorship program. Um, I work with people on a monthly basis. It's very accessible and you get access to a member's portal where I upload meditations, visualizations, um, activations and different techniques to help you remember who you are and really facilitate you falling in love with yourself and being able to receive yourself as a divine emanation of life. Um, so every month I offer a topic where I talk 
about certain current issues from a spiritual perspective. And then there's a, a place where people can post their questions and I answer um, questions from everybody, which ends up being extremely beneficial. So if you would like to join, you can again, find that at my website, juliepyatt.com and then click on water tiger and you can find out more about that. Oh my gosh. And you have your podcast, which I believe you've kind of reignited. I was listening this morning to the first episode in, I don't know, six months or so. Yeah, I can't believe it's six months. I mean, I love this medium so much. It's just, you know, I had to launch a cheese company. So there you go. <laughs> you but, know, uh, it's yeah. funny. I used to think I was like the busiest person ever. And then I was like really digging into you. And I, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know how she's managing all these moving parts. And it actually made me wonder, like, do you do you have one area that you're sort of in at a time that you give more attention to? Or like, what's really, what's really grabbing and pulling at your heart right now that you're pursuing more aggressively? Well, I don't pursue anything aggressively, but um, just to reword it, I'm, I'm like, um, I'm like a sphere of energy and I simply rotate to what needs my attention in every moment. I love that. That's an amazing thing that we should actually be holding on to that phrase. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. So, but I would say there's a lot of focus right now on, um, I've been doing spiritual mission work. So that's planetary healing uh, missions that are my own private thing that I don't share very much about. Um, and along with that is the, um, the uh, Shrimu launch, which is, you know, setting up the production also in Dominhurst. So Shreema EU is going to be produced in Dominhurst. So I actually have a facility there now. So I've, I've been doing that as well. Um, so um, yeah, Shreemu is the big focus right now. This is um, a very exciting moment. The cheese has been overwhelmingly uh, well received. And I've got just every day is full of meetings with very highly engaged people in the food space and all different areas. So it's a big mission of mine. It's the biggest mission of mine. It's not, it's not to be small. It's to really, um, really infiltrate and reach as many people as, as many millions of people as, as possible. So that is, you know, that carries a lot of focus right now. Definitely. Do life, not cheese. I love it. Um, <laughs> We have been, you know, just riffing for quite a while, and I feel like it's probably time to wrap it up, even though I have like seven other topics I could easily go through another episode with you. Um, but I do, I do like to finish by asking all of my guests the same question, and that is, if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I would say that you are the one you've been waiting for. There isn't any, there isn't anybody else that's coming to do you that's coming to realize what you were born to do. And so I think that it is time and it is time on the planet for us to take responsibility, self responsibility as self sovereign people, beings, spiritual beings, and also to claim your own authority for your life. No one has the authority over your life, no system, no government, no parents, no partner, no one. And so at the end of the day, when you lay your head down on that pillow, 
let it be your life that you led and not someone else's. That is absolutely beautiful. Just like you. Thank you so much, Julie, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Um, and I hope you'll have me back again another time. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to do the next one in person, maybe with a little um, Shrimu break. Let's do it. Yeah, let's have a tasting. I'm <laughs> in for sure. And yeah, um, so you guys can find Shrimu.com, S-R-I-M-U.com. And, uh, and anyway, I hope to meet some of you down the path. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. All right. I'm back. Wow. Okay. So what you're going to find, I mean, you don't know this yet. You've just finished listening to this amazing conversation, but I know it is that for the next few days, you are probably going to be like me and wake up thinking about these little snippets from the conversation that I had with Julie. Um, for more things, Julie, okay, to get involved with the things that we talked about, definitely check out her cheese company, Do Life Not Cheese. Uh, Shrimu, it's S-R-I-M-U. It's a subscription cheese company, not cheese cheese company. She's doing amazing things with it. Um, definitely check out her retreats. She has one in March. I think she has one in October. Definitely check out her Water Tiger community. This is really a place where you can do a lot of self-exploration. And then um, her podcast, she's kind of reviving it. It's called For the Life of Me. Just before I had a conversation with her, I listened to her first episode in many months um, about the illusion of security. I think it's so cool. And um, of course, you can just Google her and you're going to find her everywhere. But you can go to her website, Julie Piatt, it's P-I-A-T-T dot com, and uh, check her out in all her glory. I know you're going to want a little bigger piece of her. Um, okay. So let's wrap it up today. Don't forget, you can support this podcast on patreon.com backsplash backslash Nicole DeBoom. Remember, we are working on creating a more positive world. That's what I think we're all doing here together. And uh, one more quick note, don't forget if you've been dying to get your hands on some skirt sports for a sweet deal, 50% off everything through March 1st so that we can clear it out before we ship it to Boulder for a new, a fun new uh, business chapter. So you're going to use the code LEAP50, LEAP50 on skirtsports.com. All right, everybody, don't forget you are the one you've been waiting for. Let's take that forward as we go about our day, our week, our month. And guess what? You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.